Well, welcome to The Grove and for week three of a sermon series called Essentialism. Uh, Before we do anything else, we just need to check in because last week we started, as part of this sermon series, we started uh, a series of practices that we're going to do over the next several weeks. And last week we introduced the first practice, and that was the practice of silence and solitude, about carving out dedicated, intentional time to kind of quiet the noise of the world around us and to quiet the noise of the world within us so that hopefully we could be able to connect and to hear the voice of God movement of God in our life, maybe even tap into our own voice inside of ourselves about pulling us back towards relationship and connection with God. And so we kind of challenged everyone to begin to institute this practice in their own life. And so I've heard from so many of you about your efforts and and what this has looked like for you, the way that you have started to implement this practice. For some of you, you kind of took us right at our word and you said, all right, I'm going to do 10 minutes first thing every morning. For some of you, you adapted it to fit kind of your life and your stage, which we love and we think is perfect. And so you've done a couple of minutes throughout the day at a couple of different times. Others of you, you're like, there's no chance that I'm going to have 10 minutes or 20 minutes alone by myself, so I'm just going to drive around without the radio on, or I'm going to drive around without my music on, and that's going to be my intentional time of silence and solitude. And then for others of you, you let us know that at the end of the day, when the kids were finally worn out and asleep, and the rest of the house had started to settle down, that that was the moment that you were able to kind of carve out for yourself. And so we're so glad that you have been participating in this practice of silence and solitude with us. This is something that we want everyone to continue to do. It wasn't a one-week experiment. I think this is something that is going to take time to become familiar. This is going to take time to kind of work the kinks out and to find the rhythms that work best for ourselves. And so I'm glad that we get to participate and do this together as a church. Now, It's probably not fair for me just to share the ways that you've been experiencing and you've been kind of navigating this practice without sharing myself. And so I got to be real honest. If there are those of you who are listening today who had had a tough time this week that you just stopped and started and stopped and started again and you just never really gained momentum or you never found a rhythm, that was me this week. I don't know what that says about kind of the willingness to start this practice and kind of lead us in this conversation about instituting this practice. But uh, it was a tough week for me. I did not, uh, I was not real happy with how my practice of silence and solitude went this week. I had great efforts to kind of jump into the week strong, like maybe many of you did. And so Monday, it looked pretty good. And I was able to do about eight and a half minutes before my mind kind of got distracted on all of the things that were going on in my day. And then as the week went on, uh, I just did a really bad job protecting my time. I did a really bad job listening to the guidance and the advice that I offered you by not picking up my phone first thing and checking the emails and looking at the tweets and, you know, and scanning Instagram for the latest posts and updates. I did a bad job of that. And so I lost a couple of days there in the middle of the week where I just got sidetracked and I got distracted and I got disrupted by all of the things that were happening. And then as I kind of, kind of got onto myself and was a little hard on myself about you know, my inability as the pastor of the church to even do the thing that I'm asking everybody in the church to do, I was like, all right, the end of the week's going to be, we're going we're to finish strong. We're going to get this right at the end of the week. And uh, it just got worse. Uh, I did an even poorer job of kind of protecting my time. There was this thing that happened towards the end of the week where I just got flooded 
by what uh, Jim Collins would call the tyranny of the urgent. Uh, all of these things that seem to be immediate and urgent and important and needed to happen in that very moment, uh, I just kind of got overwhelmed by all of those things. And so I found myself constantly distracted, constantly responding to these little fires or these little emergencies. It felt like there was a period of the last couple of days where everybody in my life needed something from me. I needed to be there for all of the people and to have all the conversations and show up for people in all of the different ways. And so kind of over the last couple of days, it has just been really difficult to find any space for silence and solitude. There's kind of been this kind of tug of war that's been happening inside of me, inside of my head and inside of my heart and in my life, kind of vying for all of my time and vying for all of my attention. Ways that I want to kind of be a good leader or ways that I want to be a good son or a good friend or a good brother and all of the ways that my relationships need things of me. And so it pulls me in all of these different directions and it vies for my attention and it vies for my energy and it vies for my time and ultimately my focus. And so kind of the last couple of days this week, I have not done a good job of kind of protecting what's most important, the places that I most need to spend my time to focus my energies. And so it's kind of led me to this place where I just feel really distracted and I feel kind of really pulled in all of the different directions. And I've kind of got this kind of cacophony of voices, this chorus of voices in my head about all of the things that I need to be doing and the ways that I'm not doing enough and I could be doing more and all of the ways that I want to spend my time and all the areas that I want to focus my energies on. And it just kind of got to the point where it felt like too much. So I don't know if you have those, those moments or those seasons in your life where you just feel pulled in a thousand different directions, like all of the ways that people need you and all of the responsibilities that you have in your life and all of the interests and the ways that you want to spend your own personal time are all vying for limited, scarce resources. There's just not enough of you to go around to all of the places. That's kind of where I found myself this week. And so I don't know if it's irony or just... The fact that most of the time when I preach, I have to live out my own sermons. This place of being pulled apart in all of these different directions is kind of precisely uh, what I think this week's new practice is going to help us I'd kind of identify ways to work around this and hopefully ways to help re-kind of integrate and unify our lives around a common purpose and around kind of a, a common priority. And so this week we're talking about the practice of simplicity and fasting. And so when we hear this word simplicity and fasting, if you've had any experience with it in church, and even the word fasting has kind of come back in vogue with kind of modern medicine and kind of pop psychology over the last several years. But typically when I think about or I hear about simplicity and fasting, it's really kind of a challenge and a charge to, to spend less, to do less, and to eat less. That's kind of the way that you could kind of summarize all of the sermons and all of the guidance that I've heard about simplicity and fasting is spend less, do less, and eat less. And while I think at times simplicity and fasting do uh, include those things and they do incorporate those things and there are moments when we need to do less and spend less and eat less, I think when we think about simplicity and fasting in those terms, we really miss the point of what simplicity and fasting are aimed at. Because those are kind of the outward expressions, the outward actions and the manifestations. Um, and it really addresses not the, the root issue or the root cause, but just some of the symptoms. Because 
long before you know, we started to talk about this idea of simplicity and fasting and all of the ways that our lives get pulled, uh, there was a group of people kind of gathering around, understanding that uh, the way that you can motivate people, the way that you can move people to action, the way that you can influence people is by getting at the root cause of all of the different ways that their life is pulled and into the different directions that they're pulled in. And it all kind of gets into the heart of the motivations about why we do what we do. You see, there was a period of time where we understood the world kind of through this kind of Cartesian uh, philosophy that we are these rational, intelligent creatures and we always do what's in our best interest and we always operate based on need. And then uh, kind of Sigmund Freud was the first one to introduce this different understanding of how the human worked and how the world worked. And that we, while we were rational at times, we were also highly irrational and we were motivated. We were influenced by some of these inner voices, some of these kind of inner um, categories of our, of our life and of our kind of psyche that would push and pull us in different directions. So if you're familiar with a little bit of Freud's work, you know, the id, the ego, and the superego, these forces, these motivators that pull us in different directions towards different things in our life. And so as Freud began to develop this kind of philosophy and understanding and psychology of how the human works, it was kind of uh, hijacked and adopted by the Nazis and their propaganda machine. They recognized that the two you know, kind of strongest ways that you could motivate, that you could persuade, that you could influence people was to prey on these kind of subtle internal motivational forces that exist in their life. And the two strongest being fear and desire. And so Hitler was a master uh, propagandist. He knew how to influence people. He knew how to motivate people. And then shortly after World War II, there was another group of people who began to look at the ways that Hitler used propaganda and the motivations that exist inside of us, the ways that were pulled in different directions. They began to recognize that, well, if Hitler could use that for the war, what if we could use that for our own purposes during peacetime? And ironically enough, Sigmund Freud's nephew, Edward Bernays, he took this same idea and the same work that his uncle had been working on that Hitler had used in the propaganda machines during World War II, and he took it to Madison Avenue and to the ad agencies and to the madmen of that time, and they begin to recognize that uh, prior to this moment, all advertising was based around uh, human need. And so the way that you would approach motivating and trying to encourage people to buy your product was to convinced them that your product was the best product based on merits of your product alone. It lasted longer, it was stronger, it was you know, more capable or more robust. It was based on this legitimate understanding of need. But after World War II, these ad executives, these madmen, begin to understand that there were these forces that we could begin to speak into inside the human heart, the ways that we could be influenced and motivated and pulled in all of these different directions, largely fueled by our desire for things, the way that we would listen to these subtle voices externally, and those voices would speak to the voices that we hear internally, the different parts of ourselves that you know, maybe want to live in a certain area or dress a certain way or aspire to a certain type of living, these aspirational virtues that would speak to us and motivate us to buy certain products or do certain things. They recognize that they could really control human beings by these inward forces and these inward motivations and desires. And so over the last you know, several decades, we have seen this effect on our lives. And now we're to the point today where you can turn on your phone and you're bombarded by hundreds of advertisements every single day. 
inviting you, enticing you, speaking to you, whispering to you, encouraging you to go this way or to go that way, to do this or do that, all the different ways that we can spend our time and to live our life. Now, we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, about this inundation of choice and this inundation of voice that we experience in our lives. But I want to talk about maybe how we get out of all of this, the solution forward from this moment. Because Freud was not the first person to understand the motivations of the human life. Thousands of years before Freud, the writer of Proverbs, King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrote this about the human heart. In Proverbs 4.23, he says, Above all else, above all of the things that you can do, above all of the ways that you can live your life, above all of the actions that you can take, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Now, here in this moment, the way that the Bible understands the word heart is not like the Cupid kind of eros understanding that we have in our modern society. Really, here in Proverbs, the way that Solomon is using this heart and even the way that the the word heart is used throughout Scripture is kind of primarily referring to the ruling center of the whole person. It's kind of the spring of all of our desires. Our heart is really understood to be the seat of our will it inspires our feelings, our choices, it informs our intellect. It's not just the source of our spiritual activity, but it's really the operating center of the human life. Now, if you've ever seen the movie Inside Out, you know, the command center in the middle of the person where all of the emotions are there and they kind of operate the person, that would be the biblical understanding of the human heart, this control center for the human life. And so what King Solomon says is above all else, Guard your heart. Why? For everything you do flows from it. Solomon recognizes that inside of each one of us is this command center and this control center. And from there, all of our actions, all of our motivations, all of our choices, all of our thoughts, all of our feelings, they flow from this central place in our life. And if you could imagine that there's one steering wheel in our heart that guides and leads us in a certain direction, if you've got competing hands on that wheel and everybody's trying to take a turn steering the human life, steering your life in a different direction, it can get really chaotic. That's why many of us live a life that constantly feels pulled in all of the different directions because there's all these sub-personalities within us, aspects of ourselves vying for control, vying for attention, vying for the motivational influence in our own lives. And none of it's necessarily wrong and bad, but the effect of it is dangerous on ourselves. We get to this place where we're pulled in all of these different directions. It's kind of like the ancient torture of disruption or dismemberment that, you know, the scene where they would tie each of the person's arms and legs to different horses and then they'd whip the horse and all the horses would scatter in different directions and it would obviously end the life of the person. I think unintentionally, In so many ways, the ways that we're living our life today, listening to all of these motivational influences, allowing ourselves to be pulled in all of these directions, we're kind of having the same effect on our lives. We feel exhausted. We feel scattered. We live anxious like we never have enough time to get all of the things done, to be all of the places and all of the ways for all of the people. And then at the end of the day, we don't even have time left for ourselves. And so it feels like we're constantly robbing Peter to pay Paul And the people that should be most important, the things that should be most important in our lives, the areas that we want to be our greatest priorities oftentimes fall to the last on our list because of all of the ways that we've allowed ourselves to be pulled in all of these different directions. 
It's like me this past week, you get flooded by the tyranny of the urgent and the unimportant, and yet you lend yourselves to them, and so your life gets pulled in all of these directions. And so the thing that should matter, the people that should be most important, the areas that you have kind of committed your greatest energies and time to, often get shortchanged because of this effect that we've allowed to have on our life. And so when we think about this practice of simplicity and fasting, it's not about just doing less. It's not about spending less or eating less because the goal of simplicity or the opposite of simplicity really shouldn't be you know, a complex life. We're not trying to get away from complexity in our lives. That's not the goal of simplicity. The goal of sim- simplicity is not to move us away from complexity because that's unrealistic. For many of us, our lives are gonna stay com- complicated and complex. We've got lots of people who need us. We're managing a business and we're managing a household and we've got small children to take care of and a spouse to look after and parents to attend to and siblings and friends and all of the ways that we have a busy and a complicated and a complex life. Now, the the goal isn't to simplify those things, to get rid of all of the people or all of the things that we're involved in. It's not about doing less, spending less, eating less. It's not about removing complexity, but it's about focusing It's about finding depth. It's about finding meaning. It's about prioritizing in the right way. So the most important things get our best energies. Simply be the opportunity to make the main thing the main thing. That's really what simplicity and fasting is all about. It's about focusing ourselves. There's kind of this great quote I read from kind of this Quaker theologian and author named Thomas Kelly. And he says this, and I think he kind of actually sums up what I've been trying to say for the last dozen and a half minutes. He says, we feel honestly the pull of many obligations, and we try to fulfill them all. And we are unhappy, uneasy, strained, oppressed, and fearful we shall be shallow. We feel honestly the pull of many obligations, and we try to fulfill them all. And in doing so, it leaves us unhappy, uneasy, strained, oppressed, and fearful. Fearful that we shall be shallow. But we have hints that there is a way of life, vastly richer and deeper than all of this hurried existence. A life of unhurried serenity, a life of peace, and a life of power. I love that line, a life of unhurried serenity. That would be so nice. If only we could slip over into that center. We have seen and known some people who seem to found this deep center of living, where the fretful calls of life are integrated, where no as well as yes can be said with confidence. That is from Thomas Kelly's A Testament of Devotion. If only we could slip over into that deep center of living. Center with the words start with the letter C, C C-E-N-T-E-R, See, I think ultimately that is what the, the practice and the art of simplicity and fasting is truly all about. It's about rediscovering and refinding the center of our life, the deep center of meaning. Not about listening to all of the voices and all of the ways that we can get pulled to and fro, left and right, but finding and focusing on that which is truly most important. This is what King David writes in Psalm 86 identifying this problem and it's kind of the prayer and it would kind of be the tagline for what our efforts in simplicity and fasting would be. This is the prayer he he prays. He doesn't call it simplicity, 
but this would be our prayer and our goal of simplicity. He says this in Psalm 86, 11. He says, teach me your way, Lord. Instruct me on how I should live. Guide me in the way that you have designed life to be lived, God. Teach me your way that I may rely on your faithfulness, that I may put my trust in you, God. And then this is what he says. Give me an undivided heart. Give me an undivided heart. That's my prayer for us in this practice of simplicity is that we can begin to unite and unify our heart. Instead of listening to all the ways that it gets pulled here and there, all of the different things that are vying for our attention and our energies and our desires and passions and efforts. But no, we should lean into God and say, God, unify my heart. God, give me an undivided heart focused only. There's that word focus. Focused only on glorifying you. Give me an undivided heart focused only on glorifying you. Again, the goal of simplicity is not to move away from complexity, but is to focus on truly the essential, the things that matter most and only the things that matter most. It's letting go of the unimportant, the uncritical, the tyranny of the urgent, and focusing on the truly vital few things that matter in life. And in this case, and according to David, and I think according to Jesus and the rest of Scripture, the focus and the unification of our life should be, should be around God and our relationship to God. That should be the deep center of meaning in our life. And David ends the, the psalm this way. He says, I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. And again, remember, the biblical understanding of the word heart is not kind of this kind of emotional core that beats inside of you, but is the operating center of our entire life. So when David says, Lord, I will praise you, Lord my God, with my whole heart, with all my heart, he's talking about his whole person. The entire operating center of his life will be oriented towards God. He won't have a divided heart. He'll be focused, focused on God alone. And from that, all of his choices, all of his thoughts, all of his actions, all of his efforts and energies and priorities and purposes that he understands in his life should flow from this deep center. This is what it means to simplify your life. It means to focus it onto a single point. It would be like a magnifying glass and you take it and you align it with the sun and it focuses all of the rays of the sun. The way that the sun shines on a large whole you know, span of the earth and then we take this magnifying glass and it focuses the energy of the sun through the magnifying glass, through the lens, into a concentrated point of light and heat. And with it, you're able to do all sorts of things like burn paper or ants or whatever you did as a kid when you had magnifying glasses and you harness the power of the sun. This is what it means to simplify our life is to focus it into a singular point to give it greater impact, to give it greater power and give it greater magnitude. This is the prayer that David prays when he asks God for an undivided heart focused only on God. And so it's really all about how do we unify our life around God? And that's what the art and the practices of simplicity and fasting is truly about. Simplicity is kind of this inward reality that manifests into an outward lifestyle in that order. It starts internally on, on an internal focus, our heart undivided, focused on God. And then it manifests into our actions. This is why when we think about simplicity and fasting, we can't just start with doing less and spending less and eating less. Those things may come as they help us focus our life on God. 
But they're not uh, ends of themselves. They're means to an end. They're tools to help us. They're manifestations of the ways that maybe we need to focus our life to ignore certain things and to prioritize other things, to give us space and margin to focus and unify our life around God. So as we think about what it would look like to begin this practice of simplicity and fasting, it's really understanding that simplicity is about focusing. So what are the things in our life that we need to focus on most? If you've ever kind of made a vegetable garden or created a garden of any kind, you recognize as you begin to plot out where the different plants and the different vegetables go in your garden, there are certain spacing requirements around each of those things. Carrots take less space than tomato plants do. Cantaloupe need more space to spread out and to expand you know, than uh, jalapeno plants do. They kind of grow vertically. And so understanding the requirements of the things that you're putting in your garden helps you know how to space them out. The same is true with our life. When we're able to focus our life around a singular point, it helps us understand the different ways that we need to space our life out to give margin around our priorities, to give margin around the places and the people that are most important to us. Because this is what happens. Come on, you know this. So often you end up spending your time at work dealing with other emergencies or dealing with your kids or any of the other disruptions that come in your way. And so then when you get home and you're supposed to be present with your family, you're distracted by all of the things that you didn't get done at work and all of the different areas. And so then when you're out with there with your friends and you're out having fun or whatever, catching up with a girlfriend, you're distracted by the other thing that's going on. And then when you get to the next thing that's going on, now you're texting with your friend who you were with a second ago because you forgot to tell them about this thing that happened in your life. And we're never truly present. We're always constantly pulled in different directions, giving our energies to all of these different places. And so, what we need to do is to begin this practice of simplicity and to institute this practice of fasting, to focus our lives. So, with simplicity, we focus around most, what's most important. And you can do this in all of the different categories of your life. It's asking yourself what truly matters most, or how can I focus my life around God in this moment? So, with your time, with your schedule, God, How can I focus my life around you? How can I focus and unify my heart around what you want to do? My story at the beginning of this sermon about how I didn't do a good job of this this week is the reason why I didn't spend enough time in silence and solitude with God. I didn't focus. I allowed my time and attention to be given to all of the other things. And so I need to do a better job of setting a priority to creating margin, to blocking out my time so that the most important things can happen. So maybe for you, what does it look like to begin to simplify your calendar, to simplify your daily rhythms? Maybe for you, you need to think about what it looks like to simplify your commitments. Maybe in your desire to be all of the things to all of the people, because out of a genuine sense of care and friendship and relationship, you've said too many yeses to too many people. And so you don't have enough of yourself for your family, for you, or even for God. So how do you begin to think about how you refocus your life around your commitments? How do you begin to unify your life around what's most important with the things that you do say yes to? It will require you to say no. But newsflash, when you say too many yeses, you then have to go back and to say a whole bunch of no's that you weren't planning to say because you don't have enough time. There's not enough of you to go around. 
This practice is really important because of the day and the age and the world that we live in and the way that we're constantly invited to do more and to be more and to go more and to spend more and to buy more. All of the mores that we get flooded with. We need this practice of simplicity to slow down and to stop and to reevaluate what's truly most important. The same with our finances. We can think about some simplicity within our finances, refocusing on what's most important. If you're constantly um, surprised by, overwhelmed by, discouraged by the mounting credit card debt that comes in the mail each and every month, maybe it's time to stop and to refocus and to reprioritize about what's most important in your life. Are you allowing your desire for things to live up to a certain standard, to match what the other people in your kind of social network are doing and living and buying and spending and purchasing? Are you kind of comparing and contrasting and trying to keep up with the Joneses in a way that is causing you to not have any other margin for yourself, for things that are most important to you? If the credit card bills continue to go up, it might be a time that you need to stop and to reevaluate if you have the right focus, if you have the right uh, priority and what's most important. And then fasting plays a role in this as well. Fasting in many ways is simply ignoring some of the pulls, some of the calls, some of the desires that you feel for things that take you away from what you have refocused on in simplicity. So it works like this for me. I need to create more time in my schedule to prioritize, to refocus on my practice of silence and solitude with God, making sure that I have enough space and margin in my schedule and in my day to really put the most important thing in my life first, to focus on it in my life. So it might mean for me that because I'm often distracted by the calls of work and the emails and the things that are happening in the world and the news, maybe I need to take a fast this week as we begin to institute this practice. Maybe I need to begin to practice fasting from technology. Maybe it means that at night before I go to bed, I put my phone in a drawer and I turn it off and I commit to not checking it until noon that day. Maybe it means that I delete all my social media apps off my phone for the following week because I need a break. I need a moment to refocus on what's most important. And then at the end of the week, I can kind of think about, okay, how was that period of fasting? When I disengaged from those things, when I stopped allowing them to pull me in all of the different directions, does it give me a, a different understanding about what's most important? How important is Instagram in my life? Or how important is Twitter or the news or any of the things that we allow to pull us and to sway us and to motivate us? So that's another example. Maybe for you, fasting this week looks like uh, saying no to technology. Maybe it's pressing the off button on some of the things that you were so quickly to turn on and distract yourself. Maybe you haven't had a great week with silence and solitude either because you always have noise on. What would it look like to fast from noise this week, to fast from music or the radio or for a constant influx of news outlets informing you about all of the things that you should think and feel about all of the things that are happening in the world I think a lot of us would do a good job if it would be good for us if we fasted from some of the news outlets. What are some of the things that you can think about in ways that pull you and, and kind of draw you away from what should be the center of your life, the most important thing in your life that cause you to stay unfocused and scattered and divided? For some of you, that, you know, maybe it is food. Maybe it's in the space of not eating, it allows you to be reminded about the control that you have over your desires 
That's one of the things that I find truly valuable and meaningful when I kind of do a 24-hour fast. It helps me, it reminds me that the cravings in my stomach aren't in control. They don't have to be in control. When I feel hungry, that doesn't mean that I have to eat. I'm able to observe it, to notice the desire, to notice the pull, but I'm in control and I don't have to give in to it. The same is with some, maybe some of the other desires that we have in our life. So maybe there are some areas that we can begin to practice, whether it's a 24-hour fast or it's an 18-hour fast, or maybe you have some experience and it's a 48-hour fast from food. But it gives you space to be reminded about what's most important, that the desires and the pulls in your heart and in your mind and in your soul don't have to be in control, that you can regain control and refocus it around something else. And then maybe for some of you, there are some things that are having you know, severe adverse effects in your life, whether it's substances, whether it's alcohol or pills, or maybe it's an addiction to something or pornography. Maybe there's something in your life that is truly pulling you away and harming your life and those in your life. That would be the first place I would start with this practice of fasting, to take a break from those things that are drawing you down, pulling you down, disrupting your ability to have a, a unified and focused heart on God and on your, on your relationships, on your family. That would be the first place that I would start. Because again, the goal of this practice is to help us to refocus and to rediscover on truly what's most important. And so this isn't something that we stop the practice of silence and solitude to do. It's like, all right, well, that exercise is over, and now we're going to start this new practice of simplicity and fasting. No, they work together. They work in partnership in the same way that they would in my life. The ways that I might need to fast from some of the things that are, that are getting in the way of and causing me to be unfocused and distracted and scattered about what should be most important. The practice of silence and solitude will aid us in our ability uh, to refocus on what's most important. They work in partnership and in tandem together. And so I hope that you won't stop silence and solitude to begin simplicity and fasting, that you'll recognize that they are tools that reinforce one another and to serve one another. So I'm gonna go ahead and wrap up. We'll end our time together today and we'll have some more instruction and commentary about the ways that you can institute this practice of simplicity and fasting in your own life through our social media channels. So if you are deciding that this week you're gonna fast from social media, that might be a little difficult to find, but we'll make sure that we create ways to get that information to you. But I am excited that we are in uh, another week of this series and I'm excited that we get to begin this practice of simplicity and fasting together because I truly believe it has the power to refocus us on what's most important. It has the ability to take us away from a divided heart, to focus us back onto God and what's truly most important in our life. So let me pray for our time together that God will aid us in our, this practice this week. Gracious and loving God, thank you for today, for this chance to be reminded that you should be the center of our life, the center to which all things flow out of, that our heart should be focused first and foremost on you, that as the operating center of our life, that when our heart is aligned with you, it flows into all of the other things that we do. It helps us align our relationships. It helps us align our priorities. It helps us align our thoughts and feelings and actions in every category of our life. So God, in the midst of all of the busyness, in the midst of all of the ways that we are pushed and pulled, all of our attention and energies and time are vied for by all of these different areas and parties and people, God, you would help us to slow down, take a deep breath, and to focus on you. God, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.